Hello, everyone. My name is Taylor. And I'm Kelly. And we are the co-hosts of Jumping Bomb Audio, the number one show all about the world of Joshi Pro Wrestling. Episodes drop every other Monday where we discuss the biggest Joshi news, review shows, and preview the hottest upcoming Joshi action. So whether you're a new fan or an old fan, we've got something here for you at Jumping Bomb Audio. Check us out on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Back to another episode of The Good, The Bad, and The Hungi here on the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. I'm your host, Tyler Fornis, and with me as always is my co-host, Fred Moreland. Fred, we have some breaking news. We yep. have a war that George Bush did not start. Have you heard about this? No, I have not. Um, uh, there is a war between WWE and AEW, and it was confirmed by Tony Khan when he appeared on the Dan Lebitard show. Um, I, and- I see what you did there. Yeah, uh, a, a lot of this is stuff we had already heard. Um, yeah, it's the, all really uh, news or new no, news, I guess. But it's it's always funny to make a George Bush reference because it, it, he's just got a funny name, George Bush. I I, I just I just giggle. Um, but it, he did confirm that uh, he believes there is a war between AEW and WWE, and I think it's important to note that at the beginning of AEW. There, there were no hard feelings between Tony Khan and WWE until he started feeling like he was being mistreated by um, Triple H and the executives in the company. And then you hear about this contract tampering where talent was being called and told to like uh, go against their AEW contracts. And Tony Khan actually had to issue some form of cease and desist order, if I remember correctly. Yeah, he essentially... Yeah, he essentially confirmed everything um, on an appearance on the Dan Lambertard show. Nothing that I believe was crazy or out of the ordinary, but I thought it was noteworthy. Yeah, um, definitely. If someone goes on the air and confirms that, well, he didn't say outright there was tampering, but he said the people that under contract to him came to him and said that they were being tampered with, which is as good as in my mind. Um you know, and he confirmed that they sent the letter over and all this other stuff, which honestly, I can't recall off the top of my head if it's been confirmed or not previously. But it's still, I mean, the Dan Levitard is a pretty damn big show. And to go on there to confirm that all this stuff has happened is certainly noteworthy, I think. Um, and, you know, I think some people, I saw some not exactly good faith takes um, online, who could have believed it, um, that he... You know, he's in a wrestling war. Well, why is he talking about, you know, all the, why do you talk about WWE thing? Uh, that That's such a common one. And, I mean, they are in a war. You know, I don't think AEW wanted to be in a war. They just wanted to do their show and move on. But WWE, obviously, has always been a company that wanted to ensure a monopoly for themselves, whether it be in America or if you look at what they did over in the UK when they had their super hot indie scene in, like, 2018 and, WWE started NXT UK specifically to counter 
the launch of everyone's favorite television show, uh, the revived World of Sport, which was very successful. Please don't look that up. <laughs> um, honestly, they could have done nothing and they would have been fine over there. Um, but instead, they signed a bunch of guys to low-dollar contracts. And, well, that's all beside the point. Um, yeah, so we got ourselves uh, Tony Khan talking about war. Um, and that is somewhat noteworthy in itself. Yeah, um, I, I'm going to be very intrigued to see how this continues to evolve because, look, I don't think we're ever going to see what we had with the Monday Night Wars with um, Nitro and Raw. But I do think that this story isn't over and we've only had the first couple chapters. I think it's going to continue to be um, interesting how things develop, especially with how WWE, um, from our perspective, continues to misuse talent. And then Tony Khan isn't an angel himself. He there has been a lot of talent frustration in the AEW locker room. Um, there are going to be there's going to be more talent that jumps from AEW WWE, and we're going to see more from vice versa. And mm-hmm. I think that's going to be very interesting to see how all of this continues to evolve and develop. And speaking of talent jumping, I want to get your thoughts on this, Fred, because at New Beginning in Sapporo, or sorry, New Beginning in Osaka on February 11th, Jay White lost to Hikaleo in a loser leaves Japan match. This has been something that has been rumored for a long time that Jay White is going to be coming to the States. And it seems like that's going to be the case. He's going to be appearing on this Saturday's um, Battle in the Valley, New Japan show, wrestling against Eddie Kingston. And there's been rumors that he's likely WWE bound. But now it seems like he's going to be staying with New Japan at least that's the sense I've been getting from everything that we're hearing. And there's a chance he might come to AEW. What are your thoughts on Jay White and AEW? One, as as it kind of a an overall, like, hey, Jay White's coming to AEW. And two, as part of this potential New Japan story, because it almost feels like, and I, I cannot remember who mentioned it, and I would give them credit if I did, this could be a storyline where Jay White tries to earn his way back to Japan by wrestling in the States for New Japan of America. Yeah, it definitely could. And uh, you'll note that originally, I, I do believe the match was originally announced as a loser leaves New Japan, and then they changed it to loser leaves Japan. Well, at, um, at core, or sorry, um, at New Year's Dash, um, Jay White explicitly said, loser leaves Japan. Right. Then he did not so, say new. So I, I think that's important. Yeah. So so it does uh, set him up to continue working with each band in the States. And if you remember back around 2020, I think it was a pretty close to the peak of the pandemic. Um, he was uh, among a couple other American talents, or I guess I should say non-Japanese talents, that were very frustrated with like, how they were being treated by New Japan, specifically, if I recall correctly, the story was that they were, they went over there for a tour, you know, of course they had to stay in the hotel rooms for like two weeks beforehand, but then they went into the shows and then they uh, were getting ready to leave. They're getting ready to fly back home. And the company tried to call them and tell them that they needed to stay for the next tour, like on their way out of the country. And that pissed a lot of people off, I think, pretty justifiably. Um, and Jay White was among them, if I recall correctly, and was very unhappy with 
that. And I think he's also shown over the past couple of years that he really would prefer to stay or spend more time in America, where he lives in Florida, I believe it is. Uh, it's always Florida with wrestlers, pretty much always. Uh, so he is, you know, he, he wants to spend more time here in the States. And I think that actually impacted the build some for Wrestle Kingdom this year where he was not even in Japan for the the December shows, even the, the end of the tour, to help build the match with Okada. Um, I think, you know, it's very possible that he'll just work New Japan of America shows. Uh, it's possible that he'll do, you know, he could do like a split deal of some sort, working AEW to some extent. Um, in fact, he was doing that with Impact previously uh, last year. He made a few appearances there and put some level of effort in. Um, not exactly his finest showings. But if he were to go to AEW full-time, I think it's very intriguing to think about where he would be slotted in. Um, I think that he has a lot of skills that would allow him to do well at AEW. I think that he'd be able to adjust from his typical New Japan fair of like these half-hour-long matches and... Uh, he, he would be able to adjust to like the shorter TV matches to cut it, you know, cutting the time in half and all that. Um, I think he's got the skill set to do that. I think he'd be a good addition. I just think the question is, where would he slide in? Because I don't know that he's over enough to be like an instant main eventer. We're not talking about like when AJ Styles went to WWE uh, from New Japan several years ago or when Kenny Omega left New Japan for AEW as it was well, starting. I'm- I mean, AJ, it took him six months to be a main eventer, but he, he also was over won. enough from, yeah, and he was over enough from day one. Honestly. Yeah, I mean, they, they didn't push him right away. They uh, they put him in that little program with Jericho, and he was like th- like the third match on WrestleMania, which, yeah. I, I mean. Like, but that was a WWE decision. That was not a reflection of what AJ's popularity was, I think. It would be fair to say. Oh, yeah. Um, it, at that point, AJ was still riding incredibly high and he hadn't slowed down at all yeah uh but yeah i mean and if jay was to jump to aw i do think there's a big dangling hook right now where he could slot in opposite adam cole for this next paper for this pay-per-view cycle um or even possibly after uh i think that's a pretty obvious connection right there with both of them having ties to bullet club and uh you know there's some teases of you know, Jay White being with the Young Bucks during their heel run with uh, back last year um, before they turned face after Brawl Out. And yeah, uh, but there's some intriguing options out there and it'll be interesting to watch. I am, this is, I feel like, the third year of is Jay White going to leave New Japan? <laughs> so <laughs> I just wish at this point that either he would or he would just publicly sign like a 10 year contract. So I never would have to talk about this again. Oh, you're going to have to talk about it, Fred. And, I know. Uh, I am going to make you talk about wow, it. And that's, that's, that's nice. uh, I know. Um, I, I find the conversation around Jay White intriguing. And one of the reasons why is I don't think we really know who Jay White is yet. And what I mean by that is his character is such where he wrestles completely to it. And his matches don't always land because of it. He wrestles like an absolute shitbag who's going to take literally every single like shortcut that he possibly can. And that doesn't necessarily lead to great matches. Now it can. And mm-hmm. we've seen Jay White have some absolutely tremendous matches. Um, 
I loved the match against Kota Ibushi at Wrestle Kingdom. I thought it was methodical. It very well laid out. Ibushi was the perfect foil for Jay White, and it just became brutal and violent. But I also don't think that when you look at everything, I, I just don't think that we've seen the best of Jay White yet because we haven't seen a fully developed Jay White as just a bell-to-bell wrestler. It's always been about the character. It's always been about the Switchblade, his new era, breathe with him. It's always been that. It's never been, hey, just be like Okada. Just go out and wrestle and have a great match. We, ha- we haven't seen that because he's always wrestled so much of the character. So what happens when you strip away the Switchblade? What happens when he has to have that baby face turn? I don't think we're really going to see the anything close to the peak of Jay White until we completely strip away what his character is and let him be him as far as a bell-to-bell worker. When we see that, that's when we're going to know what Jay White really is. And all this discussion like, oh, I hate him. He's boring. Look, I get it. But that's the character. That's not necessarily what the peak bell-to-bell worker is because we truly haven't seen that yet. Even the match against Okada at Madison Square Garden where he dropped the title. That was like a four and a half, four and three quarter star match, but he worked it to the character. It was not a bell to bell style match, but it worked for the story. You had Jay White who beat him at Wrestle Kingdom. Okada stripped off the pants and went back to the trunks. And it was like the end of like a mini redemption arc for Okada. Mm -hmm. And it was a quick first title reign for Jay White, but it was a character worked match. It was not a, I'm just going to go bell to bell and have a great wrestling match. I want to see that before I make any true assumptions about Jay White. And I really think that if he were to come to AEW, I think a babyface run would probably be his best bet. I don't know if they would bring him in as a babyface or how quickly that would happen because this company could use another heel or two, especially outside of the main event picture. Now, we did just have the return of Christian last night on dynamite, which we we'll end up talking about, but I want to see what Jay white can be stripped away from the switchblade character. And I, I would love to have him in AEW for that fact. Cause fuck Jay white was built for American television wrestling. You drop him into 1984 Memphis. Jay white would be the biggest star. Yeah. He, uh, he obviously has a lot of talent. Um, and I think, I think maybe you're, giving it shortchanging him slightly in terms of match quality. Like I really liked his match with Okada. I thought that was like a four and a half star match, but you're right. in that sometimes he lets the storyline get in the way of having a good match, but sometimes that's what's called for. So, you know, there's that too. Um, but yeah, I mean, and he's just turned 30. Like, I think this, he's now only 30. Like he's got lots of mileage left on him, but he's been doing the same act since 2018. Uh, since he initially turned heel and joined bullet club. Uh, from chaos against Okada, and uh, he needs a change of pace. He needs a uh, needs to change th- things up some, and hopefully he does that, regardless of where he is. It's going to be fascinating to see what ends up happening and evolving with the course of the Switchblade Jay White. And I have a feeling he's not done with New Japan. I I just get the sense of watching those post-match comments and how things have evolved over the last few days since he lost to Hikaleo that we haven't seen the last of Jay White in um, New Japan, in Japan. Um, that That's going to be 
very interesting to watch. Speaking of New Japan, I'm very intrigued to see how things are going to work out with uh, Honor Club and Ring of Honor because they have their tapings next weekend, the 25th and 26th. They're going to be taping the night of the Saturday, the 25th, and then Sunday night, the 26th. And in between those two tapings, they're going to be taping dark as well. The tapings are going to be in Orlando, Florida. They're billing them as the first ever Ring of Honor TV tapings, which I find hilarious because Ring of Honor did TV yeah. tapings all the time. But yeah. it's this is first ever in Tony Khan's Ring of Honor, so I kind of get it. I think it's going to be very interesting how they structure these. It's going to be very interesting what the crowd looks like because, look, we, we understand that this is a Tony Khan wrestling promotion. We understand that Ring of Honor is going to be thought of as, hey, this is like like AEW adjacent, but it's not AEW. How will the AEW fans handle Ring of Honor as a true second promotion? We know that they've done well as far as, hey, the first pay-per-view sold out relatively well um, down at WrestleMania weekend uh, in Dallas, but that was kind of viewed as a, like a one-off show. We didn't know if Ring of Honor was going to become anything more than that. And then you had uh, Death Before Dishonor in July. That sold really well. And then Final Battle sold really well. All of those, even though they were Ring of Honor branded, they had a sense of, hey, this is still a Tony Khan promotion. This is still AEW. Now Ring of Honor is going to be Ring of Honor. How are How is this fan base going to handle that are, are we going to see a lot of translation? Are we going to see not as much as we thought? How is it going to be perceived? And I think these TV tapings are really going to tell a story, Fred, of what this fan base really thinks of Ring of Honor. Yeah, and, uh, you know, it's going to be very interesting to watch. Um, let's see here. I'm pulling something up right now. So basically, AEW pay-per-views have typically recently been around what was 150,000 is that right mm-hmm. all right so let's look here so death before dishonor did about uh looks like uh Meltzer reported that's the wrong show what was the i always forget the damn show names um what uh supercard of honor right no that's not right what is the december ring of honor show i can't final I battle final battle thank you god bless it i'm such an idiot um well, I have Death Before Dishonor before me, which was about 36,000. Um, and it looks like that, uh, well, I can easily find for Final Battle that about 25,000, 30,000 above that. So I assume that, you know, for pay-per-views, that, that's probably going to stay constant, I think, if they have big matches and can advertise them a little bit on AEW TV. Um, but... The question is, so you've got like 25, 30,000 people willing to pay a pay-per-view every, pay for a pay-per-view every three or four months. And I think but, it's at 40 bucks, right? Yeah, I think so. But how many of those people are going to be willing to uh, spend 10 bucks a month on Honor Club? And I don't know if we'll ever find that out because, you know, the, the big issue is that typically with streaming numbers, we don't get that information. You know, we don't get subscriber counts for even really... Or watch, I guess, uh, head counts for most things on streaming services. And, you know, and streaming services do love to do their uh, sign up for a free month so we can inflate our, you know, our subscriber count right before our uh, stock report to our investors. Um, 
Yeah, but I don't know. I mean, it's an interesting thing for Ring of Honor. Um, I have no idea what the break-even point would be on Honor Club. I can't imagine that there would be too much cost, relatively speaking, since they're <laughs> not doing live to air. They're doing, uh, you know, they're taping the shows and then putting them up weeks later. Uh, but I don't know. Uh, it'll be an interesting thing for their business to see and just to see how hot those shows are moving forward. Yeah, I'm, I'm really intrigued. Uh, what I find interesting is that, to our knowledge, they're not going to be running any Ring of Honor shows for free uh, to start off. Now, you're expecting people to pay for these first Ring of Honor TV tapings with really no understanding of what they're going to look like, how they're going to be structured, how long are they going to be? <coughs> Excuse me. Are they going to be an hour? Are they going to be 45 minutes? Are they going to be an hour and a half, two hours? What Half are we hours. looking at here? Yeah, what what is this going to look like? And the fact that we genuinely don't know, paired with the fact that, hey, it's $10 a month for a blind product. Like, to me, that's a little frustrating. Why wouldn't you want to, like, to maybe give away a month for free? Just be like, hey, here's, here's the first month leading up to um, Supercard of Honor. Check us out. And then, boom, then you should be able to sell some more subscriptions because as weird as it sounds, one of the easiest ways to get people to pay for your stuff is to give stuff away for free. Yeah. Because you're, you're telling them this is what it's going to look like. And, hey, we're giving you a quality product. This is going to be worth you giving me $10 a month for. And to just do it blind, I think, is overestimating the AEW fan base a little bit and not necessarily the smartest business decision. Now we haven't heard for sure that they're not doing anything. So right. I reserve the right to change my mind. If they give away an episode or two for free and then say, Hey, we're giving you this. Okay. I, I will retract that statement, but for what we know right now to not be giving away any episodes for free, I think is a mistake. Yeah, uh, I would certainly assume that they do something. Maybe they'll do a simulcast to YouTube, or a couple of days later they'll ship, put a one of the first episodes up on YouTube and show off like what that is. You know, they could even replace an episode of Dark with one of the episodes of Ring of Honor TV. Uh, but you know, there's just a lot of questions uh, flying around this right now, and it'll be interesting to see where it goes. I'm very interested to see where it goes. And Ring of Honor is going to be something that we talk about consistently on this show because everything intertwines. Um, and speaking of intertwining, we had the return of Thunder Rosa, but it, it wasn't right. necessarily in the way that we expected. Um, Thunder Rosa, uh, Fightful had reported with her that there was a backstage meeting last week about her return, and she has joined the Spanish announce team. Now, it also sounds like, Fred, that she has not been fully cleared for in-ring action, which is one of the reasons why she's returning in this capacity. Uh, I'm going to be honest. I'm a little surprised that she's back in any capacity, considering how things appeared to have gone down, how many bad words were said. But this is also the pro wrestling business. Yes. Everybody's a fucking carny. And if they can make it work with one of the better in-ring workers in the division where she can come back and be a net positive to the company. I'm all for it. Yeah, I mean, she would definitely provide a valuable depth and be a high-level star for them. Uh, I do think she's been knocked down a little bit in terms of the in-ring uh, 
performance rankings for the women's division in my mind. Like I think Tony Storm and Jamie Hayter have both clearly surpassed her. And let's be honest, Thunder Rose's title reign wasn't exactly, uh, you know, the halcyon days of the division. Um, you know, she put on some very disappointing matches, uh, chief among them, the one with uh, uh, Yamashita from Tokyo Joshi Pro. They had a very good match in Japan, and then Yamashita came over to the U.S., and uh, it was very disappointing. Um, but, you know, I mean, it'll be, it's very intriguing. I think Rosa definitely still has value to AEW, and I'm glad for both sides that she's coming back, because I think she'll do well in AEW, and she could, uh, I mean, there's a couple intriguing options. Maybe she'll be pulled into whatever this uh, this uh, NWO-esque invasion angle is, or maybe she'll be the one to knock off Jade Cargill. It's, uh, both of those are pretty obvious hooks for her, and, you know, intriguing options are on the table. Yeah. Um, we're going to talk a lot about the women's division in this uh, in this show because, boy, were there a lot of, of things to talk about. And then we have one last bit of news. Um, Esquire Middle East interviewed Paul Rudd, and they asked him about Orange Cassidy, which I didn't realize this, but I should have. Um, it, the Orange Cassidy character was inspired by Rudd's character from Wet Hot American Summer. Um, Rudd uh, came away basically excited about it, but there wasn't a whole lot from the interview. Look, no, it was very like, there's a clip up on uh, YouTube and it's basically the, the interviewer, William Mullally. I hope I got that last name. Correct. Uh, basically saying to Paul Rudd, Hey, are you aware of orange Cassidy? And Paul Rudd saying, no, what? No, that's cool. I should have known that. Yeah. um, You know, especially when you talk about how Tony Khan seems to be obsessed with these B list celebrities being on his television and making them focal points of, uh, different segments, angles, and matches. Paul Rudd coming out with Orange Cassidy um, on a pay-per-view would be fucking cool. And I think like, Rudd would do it. Yeah. I just uh, get that vibe off him. I think he'd be like, oh, that sounds weird and cool. I'll do that. This is the guy who, whenever he had to promote anything on Conan O'Brien, would always insist and said that they play a clip from this awful movie called Mac and Me, which was one of the best bits in late-night history. Um, like, he did it for oh, 20 that was years. Tremendous. I'm not even joking. I know, um, I know what you're talking about. It's phenomenal. Yeah, um, his, yeah. I love it. Uh, so don't rule it out. Uh, that would be cool as hell. But yeah, um, this you know, like really, we're stretching for news this week. It was a quiet week, which I can't really complain about. But this was worth mentioning just because Rudd's got a big movie coming out, even though I've heard some not so great things about film quality. But hey, what can you do with Marvel uh, in 2023? It, it's, it's a Marvel movie. It's either going to be, hey this is really fun or it's going to be bad. Like, look, I'm not a big Marvel guy. I think they're fun, but there are so many people that talk about them. Like Marvel people are like WWE fans talking about bloodline saying, Oh, it's Emmy worthy. Oh, it's the greatest thing in the world. No, you're watching a Marvel movie, dude. Like it's fine. It's, it's good to very good. It's, it's not Shawshank redemption. It's not Citizen Kane. Let's pump the brakes a little bit. So, yeah, I, I'm going to get people mad at me, so I'm going to end up uh, stopping that rant. But let's talk about this Dynamite, Fred. Sure. Yeah, because I could definitely go on about the Marvelization <laughs> cinema. Uh, but, yeah, uh, we had ourselves a Dynamite, and, boy, this sure was a, a show of television where people wrestled sometimes. This uh, was like a really good episode of Raw. 
Was it? it? I don't know like, if it was a really good episode. <laughs> no, uh, a really good episode of Monday Night Raw. It was I don't know if it qualifies as that. Um, it, it, boy. I, it's like a 5 out of 10 show. And... It is a 5 out of 10 show. Let's talk about it overall, though. I mean, do you want to skip like the segment-by-segment thing and just go through and talk about things? Because... I got to talk. We, I mean, I think we got to talk about the, the main event first. Yes. I want to talk about this and how much I absolutely hated it. Um, you, so the whole point of this storyline, Fred, is you have Tony storm and Britt Baker at odds with each other. And we have this weird female NWO thing, which is not coming across cool at all. It's coming across corny. It's coming across stupid. And, and then you have, Ruby Soho in the middle. What side is she gonna pick? She's not really an AEW original, but she doesn't feel like she fits in with the with the outsiders. Like, and it's building up to this crescendo yeah. where you you're, you feel like this is not necessarily supposed to be a great match, but it's supposed to be delivering some sort of it's angle a story advancement match. Is the way it was worked, yeah. and. The only real advancement you got is Ruby Soho was eyeing the AW women's title um, when she's standing in the middle of Jamie Hayter and Soraya, but it felt like they were building a Hayter versus Soraya match for the pay-per-view. Yeah. The only cool spot in this match was Soraya spray painting Tony Storm's ass with an L, and then she delivered uh, whatever she calls that. uh, The hip attack. The hip attack in the corner. Yeah. That was funny. I thought that was really good considering they've been using the green spray paint. But at the same time, it's like, man, this still sucks. There's <laughs> the, the talent in this match was very good. Tony Storm, in my opinion, is the best women's worker in this company. Britt Baker, most charismatic woman on the roster, much improved. Ruby Soho, your mileage may vary on her. But at the end of the day, she's a very solid hand. And I think her I think look, Soho's been doing well in the ring since yeah. she came back from that broken nose. No, I agree. But at, at her worst, she's a very solid hand, and she's not going to do anything disastrous to get anybody hurt in the ring, yeah. or she's not going to have like massive botches. Look, she's in a completely different class from someone like Madison Rain. So you have yes. three very capable women's workers. This could have easily been a four star match, and I don't think that's insane to say. I think that should have been what we expected. Like, hey, just go in there and work. This was like a two and a half star special. It was That's so disappointing. what I rated it. it was two and a half. It's so disappointing to see what kind of talent was in the ring, the potential for storyline build, the potential to have a really hot angle coming off of this, considering how much of a dud this Tony Storm Soraya stuff has been. And then you get nothing. You get absolutely nothing. Why in the world are we putting this as a main event? If one, it's not going to deliver, and two, you're not going to advance the story. Fred, what are we doing here? It, this should have been like the fifth or sixth segment of the show instead of the main I thought event. We, I thought we covered this pretty well on Rampage, you know, where there was a big brawl uh, after I think Ruby Soho had a match. And uh, Soho looked, yeah, like Baker was brawling with Soraya and stuff, and like Soho just stood in the ring and it makes Soho look kind of like a geek, and it's not good. Um, I mean, there's ways you could sell the Soho isn't sure which side she should join, you know, storyline that don't make her look bad, but here we are. Um, they didn't, and she kind of looks like a, a dork. Um, 
honestly, if I was, if, if you, you know, I, if you really wanted to establish Soho as like a, a lone wolf character, uh, she should have just laid out both uh, Hater and Soraya or Storm and Baker after the match. Um, she should have just hit her finisher on both of them and then walk out um, while everyone like looks at her angrily. Um, but that's not what happened. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, her just yelling shut up at people isn't going to put asses in seats. Uh, so, but that's what we got instead, and this kind of sucked. It was a big disappointment. Um, the match under-delivered, and the angle was kind of non-existent. You know what really frustrates me about this whole thing, Fred? Why in the world is Britt Baker getting beat here? Why? Like, it, 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 if if you're talking about Ruby Soho getting the title match at Revolution, okay, I, I, I can understand that. You beat Britt Baker, so then you, you get to face her best friend, Jamie Hayter. Okay, that at least has some cohesiveness to it. It gets you from point A to point B. It's a little bit of a roundabout, but it's not it's not crazy. It's not absurd. Why are you beating Britt Baker here? You you can still get Ruby Soho to Jamie Hayter in another way. Like I hate this. It was it was a banana peel finish. It wasn't. I don't think it really hurt Baker by these. Drives. Well, I see. I I think the win for Ruby was a banana peel. The loss for Britt wasn't because Britt got kerplunked and Tony Storm got thrown out and Soho got the pin. It, like it, yeah, it, it looked a little like a roll up. She stacked her. But yeah. it wasn't like Baker was fighting to get out. She was done. Yeah. Like, this was a legit loss. I, I, I look, we, I think Tony Khan is the best American booker in quite some time. Like you're talking like the peak era, of, like Jim Cornette, Gabe Sapolsky, ring of honor, where we've really felt like there was a, a better American professional wrestling booker, but stuff like this just drives me bonkers. Like, what are we doing? This whole thing, and unless he's got some plan, and this is just a holding pattern for Mercedes Monet to walk into the company after Battle in the Valley, like this fucking sucks. <laughs> and we could be doing so much better with these talented women. And I hate it. I absolutely hate it. Yeah, it was it was very disappointing uh, as far as the angle advancement and a mediocre match <laughs> and. Uh... I don't know. I mean, I guess we'll see where it goes from here, but like, I'm not saying that in a I'm excited to see where things go from here way. I'm excited to see where things go from here for the sole fact that, hey, this could be so much fucking better. And it's, quite frankly, Fred, it's just not. Like, it, you, you know what this feels like? This feels like Eric Bischoff trying to recreate uh, the NWO for the umpteenth time in TNA. That's what this feels like to me. I don't have a problem with AEW doing a these two women are from the other company. No, no, no. I, I have no problem with that in a vacuum. Right. It's how they're going about it. It feels like it feels like a, another NWO reboot, except very poorly done. It's uh, not great so far, I don't think. Not great at all. But let's move on. I think I think I could yell about this for I don't know another 45 minutes but we have you want to yell some more i mean i I don't have like super strong thoughts on this i don't think it was great by any stretch i don't think it was i don't think the match was a disaster the match was absolutely fine it was 
an under. There were no botches, but it wasn't interesting. It wasn't interesting. I was bored by it, uh, and that was not the only time on the show um, that I get. Well, let's bored. talk more about being bored. Okay, uh, I was bored, and uh, honestly, I kind of blame a little bit on that on the crowd. Um, this crowd was not into the show from the start. Now, I'm not going to say that they were given like, you know, a T-bone steak here in terms of show quality. They were given like a a McDonald's hamburger. It's edible. You probably won't shit yourself. But they were just, they were not into the show at all. The, their reactions were bland throughout, even for the good stuff. And I think that, I think that hurt the show quality some. I, I was not a big fan of a crowd here either. Like, I can't recall the last time AEW had a crowd that was this low key. Um, now, I, when I go to a wrestling show, I'm not like, uh, I'm not a yeller. I, I just sit there and I watch it and, uh, you know, I enjoy it, but I'm not like a guy that screams usually, I, you know. But it's yeah. like this was a crowd full of Freds, and that's bad for TV. <laughs> I, I think the only time that I'm like one of those like screamers, I guess you could say. Um, I, I will say I went to a SmackDown in, in 2017. I was at the show where um, Randy Orton burned down Sister Abigail's house. Um, I, I did scream John Cena sucks. That was kind of fun. You may be um, eligible for compensation. Uh, you may want to talk with a lawyer. You know what? It, it actually wasn't too bad of a show. Um, okay. Well, I, you know, Chad Gable wrestled on a show in a dark match. Um, I was very mad they didn't put him on the real show. I went to high school with Chad yeah. Gable. And, you know, going to high school about 45 minutes from XL Energy Center where that show was, like, I thought that they would put him on the main card and give him, like, a 15 minute TV match. They gave him like an eight minute match in, in the pre-show dark. That's fine. But I thought they'd give the hometown boy a little more of a shine. Yeah. But I had to see AJ Styles versus um, the late great Brody Lee. That was a fun match. I'm um, sure that was. That sounds great. Oh yeah. It was, it was fantastic. Um, but yeah, they were. But was that crowd as dead as this, uh, this Texas one? No, the crowd is ac- actually, um, they were live for that. Let me ask you this question. Is it just me or is Texas just not a good AEW territory? Oh, I'm sure. Because I feel like we've talked about Texas as being a bad crowd um, before. I think the crowd back um, last week in El Paso was good, wasn't they? Yeah, uh, I'm just, I'm talking in a general sense because I had no problems with last week's crowd, but I feel like when we talk about bad crowds, Texas has come up before with this company. I, I don't have any tangible proof. It's, it, it's just what's resonating in my brain right now. That's why I'm, I'm just kind of talking about it. You are asking someone with a notoriously poor memory to recall crowd reactions, which is not necessarily the strongest thing. Not necessarily a thing that's going to happen to anyone's satisfaction. Uh, but, I mean, I can only speak to Laredo. And it was their day. De- this was the crazy thing is this was their debut in Laredo. And this is what Laredo did. Um, maybe I will Texas- say I'll hold off for Rampage. Um, we'll talk about it at some point. The Lucha Brothers did make an appearance on the show to set up a, a tag match for Rampage, which was recorded later. They got the biggest pop of the night, uh, coming yeah. in to save face for uh, the acclaimed. So, but even so, like it wasn't that big of a pop, it was just kind of a, I mean, it was a, a good pop, but it wasn't like a what I would expect from a best pop in the night for AEW. 
I think we need to consider the fact that AEW truly has run out of pops, Tyler. <laughs> I was waiting for you to say that. Uh, I'm ashamed it took me this long to get to it. but Well, I, I think it, that's a very fair point because we're at a point with this company where they're going to stop getting the benefit of the doubt a lot of the time because... I think they're past that, really, but... Yeah, I thought they've been past it for a while, but I also think that a lot of the AEW fan base and the hardcores, they're not speaking up enough about stuff like this. Um, I, I saw multiple tweets saying like, oh, AEW fans are trying to convince me that this show last night was really good. And I, I just don't think we're quite there yet. Um, I mean, you also have to I don't think. That... Go ahead. Oh, uh, I was just going to say, you also have to consider that, you know, this is a very partisan, um, very partisan discussion. Um, you know, the way that wrestling conversations go online with regards to AEW versus WWE and people will choose their side and they will stand, unfortunately. And I think that the AEW hardcores are honestly probably kind of afraid that AEW will go away, you know, if, if it has a bad show because I think we all remember what happened with TNA where they just were never good and never were able to put together a uh, solid show. Yeah. Um, it's, it's interesting. Yeah. Uh, I, I think that uh, AEW kind of lost its innocence with brawl out really. Cause it, before that, you know, there was, you know, there were some issues. It was clear that there were issues with like CM Punk and other people in the company being just, especially Adam Page, being unhappy with each other, and mm-hmm. uh, and issues with Thunder Rosa. But it felt like those were just like, well, these things happen in wrestling, you know. And then Brawl Out happened, and like it was a very public and ugly scene. And I think it actually did hurt the company a little bit um, more so the promo that. CM Punk cut than the uh, the actual fight backstage, but I don't know. I mean, it's AEW is fine right now. Like their numbers are fine. They're putting on solid numbers, uh, especially with Dynamite. Rampage is kind of has slipped pretty bad um, from where it was at its high point. But I think Dynamite's still doing strong. Their pay per views are strong. I think their ticket sales are still like pretty good. They're down some, I think, but they're still solid. Um, so I think that some of these discussions about, well, they're the number two company in a wrestling war, uh, presumes that that means that they're going to die and they're not, uh, or that they're going to become what impacted after they left spike, which they aren't. Their numbers are too strong for them to not get picked up by someone. If Warner brothers discovery decides to not give them money, uh, because Warner brother discoveries, um, their thing right now really appears to be, we don't want to give anyone money. <laughs> um, uh, I don't know how that'll impact negotiations, but that's a big question, of course, when that happens, when AEW's up for renewal. Um, but I don't know. I think it's just a very interesting conversation to have about where AEW is right now. And like AEW just coming off like weeks and weeks of just fantastic television. And we're, we have ourselves a, a pretty mediocre show. And, uh, I don't want to sound like I'm saying the company's dying or anything because it's not, but this, you know, uh, they are in a position where they're not the hottest company. Uh, they've cooled off some from their hottest and 
you know, it's not like this is a disaster or anything. I think I'm rambling at this point. But basically, this show was not good. It's not going to help things, but I don't think it's really going to significantly hurt them going forward. Now, if they do like three months of this, that's a different conversation. Yeah, um, AW's dying. They're in the mud. They're done. In the absolute mud. It's something's over. Let's just. I do have a pitch. I do have a pitch for uh, for the women's NWO angle. Oh well, let's hear this. I know who should be the third person with uh, Soraya and Tony Storm. Okay. Hogan's the third woman. <laughs> Sorry, it's Mabel. It's no, no. They got Kiara Hogan. Ah, you got me. That was good. Uh, gosh, that would flop in the building. Oh, it would die. I would laugh really hard. I have, I have lots of terrible ideas for AW if they want to die. Um, Tony Khan, if you want to just lose a lot of money, please call me. I play TEW sometimes. <laughs> hey, that that's that's. <laughs> Fred, you got me. That's good. Um. Let's talk about um, Jeff Jarrett for a minute. Uh, yeah. Unfortunately, news broke on Tuesday that uh, his father, um, Jerry, um, the legendary booker in Memphis, and then obviously one of the co-founders of Total Outstaff Action Wrestling, um, passed away. Um, I believe it was at the age of 88. Uh, please correct me if I'm wrong. I don't check that, but I think that, that sounds right-ish. Um, I know Jarrett and his father, they've had some... 80. 80, you're off. Yeah. So was I. Yeah. Um, they've had some beef over the years, but it sounds like that they had kind of started working things out. Yeah. Jared decided to come and wrestle. Um, and I give him all the credit in the world. He looked like shitbag Jeff Jarrett. He was. You couldn't tell. No, you couldn't tell. And consummate professional. And, you know, I'll never criticize anybody. Like Mark Briscoe came out like a ball of fire in the yeah. first match after Jay passed away. Some people just cope differently. Some people that need to laugh about it. Some people need to go out and just be normal and do their normal life stuff. Some people need to go away and isolate for however long because yeah. people cope differently. And they do. Um, I, I will say everything that we've heard from AW and how they've handled any passing is they've handled it with grace and they've handled it with, um, they've handled it very personable and making sure that whoever it is that is dealing with tragedy is has the resources they need. And Jeff wanted to come out and I thought it was interesting. I want your take on the acclaimed rap because I thought, I thought it was very good. They, they paid respects to Jerry with the first line and they apologized to Jeff. And then they turned it around in the second line of that first verse. And they basically called him a shit bag. Like, <laughs> I thought it was tremendous, and, but I saw a couple of people like, man, this is, that was really awkward. And honestly, I thought that had to do more with the crowd. I thought the rap was great. Uh, I thought it was a fine there? rap. I, I, I thought it was all right. I did think like in my, just the way my brain works, as soon as they said something about Jerry Jarrett, like, I'm like, Oh God, like, it's like the, um, you know, the GIF of the woman with all the mathematical formulas floating by her head. I replaced those like every poor taste thing WWE's ever done. Like I just had like a PTSD reaction to it, but I thought that the context of it was fine. I thought it was you know done pretty well. I think it's a very Jeff Jarrett thing to, uh, or just Jarrett thing in general, to use that for a little bit of heat. Um, passing a Jerry, 
even though they they didn't take cheap shots or anything. Like they didn't like, ah, your dad's dead. Sucks to be you, kind of shit. But uh, yeah, I thought it, it, it's you know it might have worked better if they just didn't mention it. Um, but they did, and I thought they did it about as well as they could, really. Yeah. Um, and then as you kind of bleed into the match, is Satnam Singh bad? He's big. I look. <laughs> I, I don't know what expectations people have for Satnam Singh. Like my ceiling for him is great Kali that can walk. Like if he meets that, you know, like I think that's a success story. Um, I, I'm not expecting him to put on bangers by any stretch. He's he's a big guy who will murder people, and you know he'll be the muscle for a group for however long he's in wrestling on a large level, and that's about it. Um, it's not I'm seeing a good wrestler. No, uh, will he ever become a good wrestler? Look, I'd put money on no, but I think he's fine for what he is at this point in his career. I think he's a solid like big guy. I think he's charismatic. I think he, uh, I think he has the basics down. Like he's not, he's not like there have been big guys I've seen that like look like they could not walk and chew bubble gum at the same time. And I, he's coordinated. I think he at least has that going for him. Um, look at me, damn him with the faintest of praise. Um, <laughs> but like I don't know, I don't have higher expectations for him. He's Tottenham Singh. He's a he's a huge guy who's whole shtick is that he's just going to like grab a small guy by the head and just throw him into the ground. Uh, If he goes his entire career without a single singles match, like that might actually be for the best. Yeah. um, I I like the great colleague comparison because he's like, everybody just wants to make a giant. And I think, I don't think we'll, you know, Maybe I'm I'm being a little hyperbolic, but I don't think we're gonna have a true great as far as a giant ever again. Um, it's possible. Like, like I mean, you'll have guys like Lance Archer who are like a legit six eight, but Lance Archer is an athlete. He is not yeah. a he, like he's he's like that big man in in high school basketball who goes from like a six one point guard to a six, nine power forward the in Anthony the span Davis. of a calendar year, because he has a massive growth spurt. The like, Anthony you, Davis. Yeah. You don't automatically just like lose all your point guard skills because you grew like crazy. Yeah. Like, I, I think that's kind of the thing with Archer. He was a football player and then he, he comes to professional wrestling and he's a true athlete. Satnam mm-hmm. Singh, big boy. And I, I don't see him being like that tremendous athlete. Or if he was at one point, I'll be honest, I never watched his basketball career. He was obviously drafted, which, I mean, with a late second-round pick, you're essentially throwing darts, and that's why a lot of teams will throw him at uh, foreign players because you can stash him overseas, and if they're ever good, then you sign him. If they're ever not, then it's whatever. It's, it's, uh, it's a very calculated risk that NBA teams will take in the second round because after pick 40, a lot of those picks just don't really have much value. No, they don't. Um, yeah, it's... It, basketball is a very weird sport football you can get quality players in like round four round five in the draft they'll be vital to building your team in the nba like back end of the first round guys can really suck and they really don't do much for your team at all so it's it's just a very weird dichotomy so like i don't take any stock in the fact that he was an nba draft pick 
um, out of I India. Mean, you should give him some um, credit. I mean, look. no, I, I I think it means he's a he's at a certain athletic like right. level, yeah. but that doesn't mean he's any kind of special athlete as far as being able to transition into professional wrestling. He's just seven three. Like, well, I don't see anything that's yeah. special about him other than oh, he big boy like the Giants from WCW. That was not only an attraction, but he could actually work a little bit. And then you obviously saw it. We can talk about the big show all day. The only person who should have ever been allowed to book the big show is Paul Heyman. Yeah. But um, I just don't see us ever being able to get back to having that kind of giant and it being truly successful as an in-ring performer. I, it's just hard to see right now. It is because wrestling is so based around match quality right now. But I also think that we should see right now that there are acts that are over not in because of match quality um in aw i think the most obvious example is dan housen um dan housen is not exactly uh bret hart in the ring but he's figured out a way to get himself over now uh not obviously suggesting that we get dan housen uh that we get uh sorry satnam singh as dan housen too although i would laugh um, but again, that's a thing that would make me laugh and would be a bad booking decision. Um, but I mean, like Bray Wyatt is over with a certain segment of the WWE audience, a uh, pretty sizable one, I guess. There is a lot of intrigue about him coming back uh, and he is not a good worker. Um, but I mean, I think the thing is like a respectable uh, is a respectable athlete. Um, you know, it's like. You know, I remember a video of, I think it was Brian Scalabrini, who was a bench warmer for the Celtics when they won their title back about uh, 15 years ago. Um, and, you know, he always got made fun of for being like the worst player on that team and not really being a great, a good, even good NBA player. But there was footage of him going to like a pickup game and just roasting everyone because into the bench NBA guys are just supreme athletes still. It's just that when you get to the NBA, it's such a, it's like the 1% of the 1%. Uh, and that's not what Sodom Singh is. But Sodom Singh is like that top 1% or 2% athletically in the country that's good enough to get looked at by the NBA and to play some in the NBA. Um, and I think that says some stuff right there. Yeah. I, I Preseason NBA, but still. Look, uh, anybody who played in the NBA can kick the best person at a YMCA's ass in basketball. So, like... They're exactly. just on a they're on a different level on the court, but as a, a professional wrestler, I have not seen it yet. But I am willing to change my opinion with new information. Now let's let's move towards this MJF segment, Fred. Yeah. Because oh, I just want to say uh, this uh, eight man tag sucked. <laughs> I didn't like it. Yeah. It was it was like a WWE house show, uh, uh, like a mid card match where the guys are like, well, we have fulfilled our contractual obligation to show up and uh we're going to do a bunch of comedy and then we're going to do a sloppy finisher sequence on the way out billy gunn and jeff jarrett did not look good tonight i thought they actually worked looked worse than uh saying but that's just me um let me ask you this then does jay lethal have the coolest move combination from from a professional wrestler who's not cool at all like his moveset rocks jay lethal does does cool stuff sometimes and he is he is very much a dork, um, and he's and I think that boring. He he's been he's been slotted perfectly. He is Mister Three and a Half Stars. Um, he will at this point in his career, he will put on like matches that make you go, ah, that was pretty good. Um, yeah, 
And I, I think when is he going to stop doing the lethal combination or not the lethal combination, lethal injection? Because eventually, dude's about to be forty. Like yeah. you can't be doing handsprings like that forever, buddy. I don't know, man. I mean, it's Jay Lethal is a really. I think he's he's well overachieved though in AEW. I mean, I think that he his act with uh, with Sanjay Dutt has been a lot better than I ever thought it was going to be. Um, Him again, and Jeff Garrett need to make a tag team run, a legit tag team run. Oh, I was actually getting ready to say I don't know if I ever want to see him and Jared hold belts or anything, but I, I mean, didn't they're... say necessarily they have to hold belts. But uh, we're going to talk about this. You know what? Fuck it. We're, we'll hold yes. off on the MJF. We have yeah. questions this week, Fred. Oh, we have our, questions. Our good friend, I put a call for questions last night in the Discord. I haven't been on and, Discord yesterday, and we have a couple questions. Um, but this one is kind of uh, perfect um, because we're talking about the tag team titles. Um, Spontaneous asks, uh, have the trios titles lapped the tag titles after the best of seven series um, versus the end of the acclaimed run? Like there feels like a big quality difference. And I think the conversation with talking about lethal and Jarrett making a tag team run, like has some merit it, with this question, which is why I bring it up. I think they've lapped them, and I don't necessarily think it's anything due to the fault of the tag team belts themselves. There just isn't a glut of tag teams right now, and the elite are arguably the most over individuals in this company. Maybe. There's a couple I would look at, like maybe Moxley instead. And uh, and that's yeah. why I said arguably. like You can't have a conversation. Oh, I'm arguing. You invited me to argue. Here I am. <laughs> Careful what you wish for. I did this to myself. I do I do it all every time. But they're in the conversation at least. Yeah. What do you think? Do you think the trio titles have lapped the tag belts? Well, you know, I, I would hold off on judgment. Because, I mean, we've had basically two storylines with the trio's belts, which have been Death Triangle against Best Friends and then Death Tri- Triangle against the Young Bucks. And then we've had this little storyline with the, I'm sorry, the elite, I should say, not the young bucks. Uh, and then we've had like, uh, we're going to have a second match of the elite and top flight. Um, yeah, obviously that's going to be a lot better than, uh, look, I think the acclaimed have improved dramatically over the past year in the ring, but mm-hmm. you know, they're not the young bucks or death triangle or even best friends in terms of match quality. And that's okay. Cause they're over as hell. That's what really matters. Um, but yeah, I mean, we're kind of, it's a rough time right now, I think, of the tag division. And if you look at who they announced for that Battle Royal next week, the tag team Battle Royal, I mean, obviously you still have like the Lucha Bros and Best Friends in there. But the other teams are the Butcher and the Blade, which I think is like a rock solid team. But, you know, like they're not fantastic. Jaron Lethal, which we've just discussed. Uh, Tony Nese and Davari, who are a good, like, WCW Saturday Night level team or a good AEW dark team. Uh, Alex Silver and, or I'm sorry, Alex Reynolds and John Silver. And then uh, Daddy Magic and Cool Hand Ange. And like uh, Matt Menard is, I, he's still suffering from or still working back from that shoulder injury because he has been markedly worse since he got hurt like that uh, with that shoulder thing he had. Um, but, like, I read those off to you, and, like, none of these guys are, you know, other than Best Friends and Lucha Bros, and I guess Jared and Lethal, none of them are really, like, 
even in realm of we could put a month into getting them heated up and put them on a major tag title challenge like level guys yeah um it's kind of kind of rough right now in the division it is and i this is i think one of the areas where that injury bug that aw had this past summer this is where it's really hurt because mm-hmm. you could you could have had red dragon um competing in this division but kyle o'reilly got hurt and then bobby fish decided to go all q and on on the bit and they ended oh, up he wasn't he's not doing q and on stuff is he is he he, he was. I, I know. Uh, I know that the Bobby Fish thing was that. Uh, shit. The the one guy that was a ref in NXT that was a deathmatch worker before, but he he went Q and on, and Bobby Fish I think just donated some stuff to his charity because uh, my understanding is that basically it was like, hey, do you want to donate something so I can auction it off to fight child sex trafficking? And if oh, you don't look at those. Yeah, and I I think that it was just like. My understanding, and please correct me if I'm wrong, uh, anyone listening to this, but my understanding is that Bobby Fish was like, well, yeah, I know absolutely nothing else about what you're talking about, so here's some gear to auction off. Okay. Well, that, I I stand corrected. Now, I will say, um, but one of the arguments that Spontaneous made for the trio's titles um, being... Uh, having lapped the tag belts is House of Black versus the Elite is highly anticipated. Mm-hmm. While the tag belts are in a weird four way with Battle Royal setting up the last two teams, yeah, I, I, I get it. Um, but I think on I, this cycle it definitely is slotted higher the trio's belt. Um, yeah. I, I, I think overall it's a little premature, like you said. Um, but there's an argument for it, and that's one of the things that we like to talk about. And yep. another thing we like to talk about is MJF contractually. Um, required to appear in Laredo, Texas, which, look, you really think MJF's going to want to go to Laredo, Texas? Hell no. Like, I th- I thought in this instance it was perfect because yeah, it made MJF, M- MJF only wants to go to big towns, like towns that he believes matter. And like Laredo would not be on that list. <laughs> yes, he like had an obligation somewhere else, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, as, as my dog just gives a big stretch and is now – prancing around the living room excited about not sleeping um look this is a very interesting segment he brings out christopher daniels and he apparently has given christopher daniels a lot of money to shit talk brian danielson daniels basically tells him to shove it up his ass and then starts talking positively about brian daniels brian danielson and one thing i found two things interesting one it took mjf a while to fully turn on christopher daniels and two this felt a lot more like, hey, we're going to build up Ring of Honor than we're going to build up Brian Danielson. Hmm. Did you get that sense too? No, I did not. Um, they spent like, the whole time talking about Ring of Honor. Well, they were building the connection between Daniels and Danielson. So, you, so, you know, you would know why it mattered that Daniels was out there and uh, why MJF would go to him to pay him off to – uh, should talk Brian Danielson because they have a long history together. It, it's kind of like with uh, Mr. Not Good at His Job, uh, A Steel. Um, <laughs> boy, that was uh, that was not a good time professionally for him. Um, but him coming out with uh, CM Punk, like he had to explain that he he trained CM Punk, and like I think the announcers did that in, in between gaps in his promo on that. Uh, relatively famous f-bomb dropping promo he did 
Uh, and here, you know, I think Daniel is doing it himself. Makes sense because Daniels is a hell of a promo. Like he's always been a really good promo his entire career, more or less. And uh, I don't know. I like the structure of this segment. I like the um, I like the reveal that Max paid off someone to do something, you know, against their character, and that uh, Daniels said no and outed him on it. I, I like that little bit. It showed how. I liked how that showed MJF was a scumbag more than uh, I uh, framed my ex-girlfriend for dangerous driving while she was unconscious. Like that, make that that works better for me personally. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, I I don't really have what much else think? to say. Well, I I, I thought that. I honestly, I get that you're going to have to have Christopher Daniels build up Brian Danielson. You're going to have to explain some of it because while most of us understand that they crossed paths for a long time in Ring of Honor, I thought this was meant to build up Ring of Honor more than this was meant to build up Brian Danielson. Um, Like, is it a big deal? No. Did it accomplish both? Absolutely. But it it's just felt like it was more of a Ring of Honor um, hype session than it was about Brian Danielson. And I found that interesting. Plus, MJF probably should have kicked him in the balls a lot sooner. Yeah, but that's how MJF. wrestling works, right? Like, you got a guy cutting the promo and the other guy standing there and happy. Like, in reality, you know, there, there wouldn't be so much, like, I'm going to let you monologue and then I'm going to kick you in the nuts. You just kick him in the nuts, but it's pro wrestling, so I don't know. Yeah. Um let's let's uh uh do the our second question. Um I'm gonna try and pronounce it, but it's it's a tough one. Filipejik ninety seven. Um it, it's it's I believe it's an Eastern European style and I'm I'm just not good with uh that kind of dialect. Um what's your thoughts on Tony's booking with the rankings and without the rankings, and which do you prefer booking wise? I think this is a very interesting question because um, the rankings have essentially been gone since we started the show. Yeah, they're um, dead. Where are you at with this, Fred? Uh, well, I am here, unlike the rankings. Um, <laughs> you know, the rankings were just a tool to do a storyline and or to set up storylines, and now they're just doing stories. Um, I don't think it's a big deal at all. They're gone. Um, I did, uh, uh, shortly after it was like obvious that they had killed those off, I did write an article on the site about how there was a idea from WCW that was short lived that like running the gauntlet, I think is what they called it. Um, yeah, I wrote it back in December, and uh, that AEW should steal it, which is basically uh, WCW did a gauntlet gimmick where at that time they had matches on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, and one guy would get drawn three opponents, and if uh, the one guy beat each of the three opponents on the the three shows, they would get, you know, a kayfabe cash prize, and if they lost, then the blockers, you know, the three opponents would split the money. And, like, that's the kind of idea that I think would work really well, especially with Rampage, because on Rampage it just feels like you're doing... Not quite squash matches, but like star against mid Carter matches every week to help make the, the stars look better. And I think at least you would have a storyline reason for the star to beat the obvious mid Carter. Uh, the rankings kind of provided that too. Um, but I think just having extra justification of some sort 
um, can help with booking, can help make things feel more um, more logical. And I think that, you know, AW doesn't have to do the rankings, but I do think that having something like the rankings to call upon to help justify or to help build booking decisions is a useful tool to have. But I don't think that by any stretch you need to have a weekly top five. Yeah. Um, here's my take on the rankings. They can bring them back at any time. They can yeah, just yeah. pop up. Like, I think the rankings are good in a vacuum, but it also uh, cripples your booking a little bit where you have to book specifically around the rankings and not and just having them like in the back of your mind without actually presenting them on live television, I think is a benefit to Tony Khan to not like blatantly have them consistently. He could pull them out and be like, oh, hey, we're going to have like, like a five-way match between the um, top five contenders and then list them in order and... There you go. You can yeah. use the rankings. Um, I think you could always just say them. someone's like the number one contender or say someone, oh, you're only number three on the rankings and not have a public facing list. That's always an option. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that's that's a net benefit. Um, but I don't think it's necessarily a big deal. Um, yeah, I don't think that, that not using the rankings has hurt the product at all. Um, I'm going to set you up here, Fred, and then I got to let my doggy out because he's going bananas by the door. Um, Wardlow sitting down with Jim Ross. What did you think of how Wardlow kind of set up, um, his future ENT title match with Samoa Joe? It wasn't anything we had seen from Wardlow prior to this. I liked that segment and I thought Wardlow did a fantastic job. Um, I think that, you know, the first half of it was kind of just there. Like, it was just a typical, we're doing a sit down. I'm Jim Ross is doing a softball question for you. But then once he hit the personal stuff, I thought Wardlow had probably the best promo of his career. Not that he's cutting them on a weekly basis or anything. Uh, but I thought he did a really good job. And I actually liked this, uh, this turn or not turn. That's not the appropriate term here, but this, uh, this next step in the storyline where Wardlow made it very personal by making, well, made it clear how personal it was. And it gave greater context to some things like before it just looked like Samoa Joe cutting his pony, you know, his shitty little ponytail off was uh, kind of just a random heel thing and now gave it meaning. And that's good. Um, I think it would have had more impact if he did it in the reverse order, you know, the fans would have known the, the importance of, uh, Wardlow's shitty little ponytail and uh, Joe cutting it off would have got much more heat at the time and it would have really kind of elevated the storyline. But yeah, I mean, I thought Wardlow did a great job. I thought that everything after he started talking about his uh, personal life um, really made it great and he got good fire on that promo and I thought that he did a great job. Um, So I liked it quite a bit. Me too. Um, I really liked how they linked everything together. Everything makes sense. Yeah, it was great. It logically made a lot of sense, and that was cool. I didn't have an issue with the backwards way of getting around it, but I, I just think it would have worked point. a little better. But it was just you know, it's it's not a problem. It's just ah, uh, in hindsight, maybe if you did it in reverse, it would have worked a little to just a but- touch better. Let's explore this because I disagree. Um, I think it works better this way because why would Wardlow 
in wrestling canon or kayfabe talk about the fact that he grew out his long hair because his dad passed away from cancer oh you like, just have what, the okay go ahead i'm sorry i don't want to why like in obviously there's a way to do it but i don't i can't see a reason why wardlow would have talked about that or wanted to talk about it or how that would come up and i think it, it was almost better in retrospect the fact that he talked about it after because it's giving a rationale to why um, there was that frustration still built up and why it, why this next match is going to have even more juice. I, I, I think it was better that it was in reverse order. Um, I mean, I think it just would have flowed a little better in the other uh, direction. And all it really would have took was just being like, okay, and this week we're having a, Sit down interview with uh, Warjo and Jr. Just asking some questions, and it naturally comes up as part of that segment. Um, I think that's all it would have took. It's not like they had to rewrite, uh, you know, a whole year of storylines or anything. It just would have been a little quick thing there in December or so, November. Okay, um, I don't that's agree, it. but I totally get where you're coming from. Um, yeah, I, like, I, I don't, I don't think this is a situation where either one of us is necessarily. Right no, along. I just think it would have it's been just a just preference like thing. slightly better. That's all. And that's, you know, just my preference on it. Yeah. A um, couple more things we should uh, tackle before we kind of wrap things up. Sure. Um, Mark Briscoe is all elite. Um, yes, he is. It's one, really cool. And two, God, I hate it. Um, it, it. It shouldn't have happened this way, but I'm very no. glad that, that it, like, Mark Briscoe is going to be a featured act with AEW and probably Ring of Honor as well. Um, I just wish that it would have happened under a different set of circumstances and we would have been able to see the Briscoes um, in AEW because that would have been a tremendous addition to the tag team ranks. It's just seeing it is it. I mean, it, look, Every, everybody's mileage is going to vary on how much the the passing of Jay Briscoe had on them, just from a both personal and uh, fan perspective. But mm-hmm. it just, I, I I just have this sense of just disappointment that we just didn't get more. And yeah, and not- that's it. Really does. Um, yeah. But I'm I'm very excited to see what um, what the potential of Mark Briscoe, you know, he, even though everybody will still remember his brother and, and love what he was able to do as a professional wrestler, I think not having his brother wrestling while he's in on the singles run, I think we could see some of the best stuff of Mark Briscoe's career because he's going to be looked at as more of a solo than he's going to be that compared to his brother. Like, cause there's not going to be a real, real time comparison. Like when, Jay was the world champion for in Ring of Honor. Mark Briscoe was going for the TV title. And you always would see like a one-to-one comparison because they were wrestling on the same shows it's and the natural, same company. Yeah, yeah it's, it's a natural thing. But you do that with tag team partners all the time. Mm-hmm. But now it's going to be just Mark wrestling. And I think people are going to have a much more open perspective because they're only going to see Mark wrestle. And I'm excited to see what he can do. Yeah, I think... Uh... I think the only question here is not how hard you push Mark Briscoe's, just what is he able to do on his own? I think you should give him every opportunity to, 
you know, get as over as he can and to climb as high up the show as he can. Uh, but I do think there's quite a bit of star potential with Mark Briscoe just in general because he's a fresh character. Uh, the Briscoes weren't on TV on a large scale. Obviously, Ring of Honor had their TV, but it was never like a major show, really. Um, uh, but just being able to see what Mark Briscoe is able to do at this point in time is the booking direction they should take, and they should keep moving him up. They should keep moving him up a little bit uh, every week and just see how the crowd reacts and see how, you know, the online reaction is because Mark Briscoe was one of the top things on the show this week. Um, And it was a week show, but still he was one of the best things. And I don't know why not book him for dynamite next week against, you know, obviously someone higher up the card than Josh Woods, but you know, have him beat, I don't want to say Brian Cage because he's been doing a lot of jobs recently, but have him beat someone around that level and just keep doing it and keep, you know, moving them up a little bit. And this is kind of what they should be doing with Takeshita as well. Um, just keep having them get wins and look good and keep beating guys that are air quotes, bigger stars than them and keep moving up the card and then just see what, you know, what comes of it. Yeah. I'm, I'm really excited to see, um, how Mark is going to adapt as just a solo singles wrestler. I think this, this could be very interesting. Um, Trying to think if there's anything else that we need to get to Um, this Adam Cole sit down with Renee Paquette. Sure. Yeah. Cole keeps talking about how brutal this concussion was. And I'm starting to get really concerned that it's, that it's reality and not kayfabe. It was very bad for him, from what Meltzer said, uh, for a while there. I, I th- like, I think the the stuff he talked about, how like he would have a hard time being in a car without vomiting. Um, I think that was legit. I think that was absolutely what was going on with him, from what I've I've read. Um, and that doesn't mean that he can't like recover. I think he is recovered from it, but you know, it's scary. I mean, it was a scary concussion. He had a bad one. Um, I'm glad he's doing better now though. And, you know, I I mean, look at Brian Danielson, Brian Danielson had some serious concussion and neck injuries and he was able to recover and get back to working regularly. I, I, I don't think that Adam Cole would be on TV right now. if He was not able to go eventually in the ring. And I think they're just kind of building it up and probably going to set up a match with him from someone he'll, you know, clearly will be able to beat at the pay-per-view to get him going. Or do you think it's a Jay White, a big name? That's a possibility. Uh, I can't rule that out. Um, I, know, I guess we'll see <laughs> with it. Um, I, I, you know, I, I, the worst thing I do on a podcast, I, I've realized, is that I'll just be like, I don't know what's going to happen, but that's a possibility, and I know that's kind of crappy. It's the I, I'm not good at hot takes. Um, I'm not going to guarantee it's going to be a Jay White thing because I don't know. I don't think that's the right thing to do. Um, but I think that that's a definite possibility. It, it could very much be Jay White in a big angle. I just, you know, I don't know who they're going to set Adam Cole up opposite, but I do think that, you know, we'll be seeing him wrestle in his first batch back on the pay-per-view. I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I'm intrigued to see how they they book Adam Cole. Um, Last thing I think we should talk about, um, the Jungle Boy Jack Perry um, defeated uh, 
Brian Cage in a fun little match. It was nothing special, but the important part was the, the post-match is Jungle Boy is yeah. going back up the ramp. Christian's music hits. He comes out with the sling. Well, he pulls the sling off, and it looks like he's back. I, I, I feel like this is too soon because we're talking about like five months away from tricep surgery. But that's about the timetable, I do believe. Let me pull up. I'm actually working on a uh, injury database, um, and I have an article. I'm hoping I'll be able to finish before the guy I'm writing about comes back from injury. But um, uh, Christian Cage tore his triceps back in, I think it was on August 3rd, about there. Uh, so that would be six months. And I, that is within the recovery time frame, if I'm not mistaken. All right. So well, yeah, I don't I've... I don't think he's rushing back by any stretch. Plus, you know, he's not in the he's not in a match yet. Um and in fact, uh Matt Cardona uh tore his I think both his triceps and biceps or possibly one or the other. I think that was kind of vague. Uh back in May and he was wrestling in August. Um so I don't know if that was a partial tear situation or what, but yeah, I think Cage coming back at this point, uh Christian is uh right on schedule. Well, all right. You know what? I've been wrong before. I'll be wrong again. Maybe. We'll see. Um, uh, but I, I like the cage return. I thought it was a great little shitty heel thing he did with the mace uh, or pepper spray or whatever it was supposed to be. And uh, I liked it a lot. I like Christian Cage was doing fantastic work before he was injured. And I think he's going to pick right up from that. Do you think that Edge is coming to AEW? Do you yeah, believe but- those rumors? We'll see. Um, I think last time the the thing was that uh, Tony Khan didn't meet his asking price, if I'm not mistaken. Am I, am I misremembering that, Tyler? Is that what the story was? Here's what I remember. AEW had offered Edge a contract, but Edge wanted to give Vince the chance to match it because of everything Vince had done for him in his career. One of those kind of deals where, sure, yeah, yeah, he was going to take the AEW deal if WWE didn't match it, and yeah. WWE did, so he went back. Um, okay, I, I would be I think... very interested in an Edge and Christian kind of reunion tour because one, they can both work, and as much yeah. as Edge was a dud in WWE, I think if you present him in the right light with guidance from Tony Khan, I think you can get a solid mid card act and. I think that they could have a really fun tag team title run because they would add depth to the division. They're both very competent to great workers, depending They're on smart. the night. They're smart workers too. Yeah. And it would be a great add to the roster. Um, I don't think Edge is any kind of true needle mover, but if you can strengthen up the mid card with what the this company already has, I think it's a, it would be a huge win. For AEW. Now, as long as the money's right, you don't want to pay this guy $10 million a year to come in and be an upper mid-carder. But I I think you pair him with Christian, you do the nostalgia, people love the nostalgia, and they could have a legit good run. I'm going to say something and then I'm going to ask something, ask you something. Um, I think that he could work in AEW. I think AEW would avoid probably the worst aspects of Edge's run in WWE, which is he has these overlong matches. These Every match he had seemed like it had to be like 30, 35 minutes and didn't work more often than it worked um, just because I think he didn't wasn't doing enough to stretch out a match that long. 
Um, and I think that they'll also avoid doing a, oh no, Edge has been injured by heel, and so he's gone for however long his contract mandates until his next set of appearances. I think at least Tony Khan would have a more creative answer to that. Now, my question to you is, would adding Edge make AEW feel too much like uh, TNA, where they were doing the thing about a decade ago, uh, 12, 13 years ago, of just bringing in everybody that was a former WWE guy? No, because the one thing that TNA did that AEW is not doing is they're bringing in... Uh, they were bringing WWE guys and have them basically just being a minor league version of their WWE character. And AW having them beat bring, everyone in TNA, yeah. too. AEW is bringing guys who used to wrestle for WWE, and they have their own direction. They have their own character. They are different from what they were in WWE for the most part. Now, Adam Cole comes in. You get the undisputed everything. Okay. Yeah, it's different. But, yeah. yeah. Christian's Adam, different. Like, but he was away for years. Yeah, Christian came in, and he w- he came in with the gimmick, outwork everybody, which he did. He lived yeah. up to it, and he's been a great asset to the roster. He it doesn't feel like a watered-down version of his WWE character. He feels fresh. He feels important. It, it's I don't think that we have to worry about that with AEW, at least to this point. Now, if they bring in Roman Reigns and do a, a shitty version of, of the Bloodline story... Then we can talk, but I think it's completely different from what TNA did with uh, former WWE guys. I agree with you, but I laid a trap, and I think the bigger oh boy. concern, the bigger concern, I think, with anyone coming over from WWE is if they see AEW as on WWE's level. Uh, and I think there's been some reports that a couple of guys who came over, specifically Andrade and Miro, uh, don't see AEW as on WWE's level, and they feel like they're working in the minor leagues. Um, if Edge comes in, or anyone at this point from WWE comes in, they need to have the John Moxley perspective that this is a major opportunity, and I can not only reshape my career, but I can shape the wrestling landscape by being a major star for this big company. Um, and I think that, you know, arguably, based upon what people have said, that that's what Miro feels, uh, does not feel that. He feels differently. He feels like he's stuck in a minor league company. Um, and I think Andrade felt the same way. And so they've got to make sure that Edge, if they're going to consider bringing him in, they've got to make sure that Edge will consider AW like a major promotion to work for. Um, and not as just him, you know, biding time until he goes back to the E or something. I don't know how you do that, but it's a concern. Oh, I think you're always going to have those people who think um, AEW is a minor league. I, I, I just think it's inevitable because yes, WWE has been the industry leader for, I don't know, 40 years. Like, it, you're not just going to be able to flippy do that overnight. Right. I think the one thing that uh, where I kind of will push back a little bit is even though you have a couple jabronis who are saying, hey, yeah, these guys are minor league. Well, they're not running on the same budgets. They're growing. They're they're in their infancy as far as what their business is. Like you have to understand that you're not going to have all the little nuances. Like catering isn't going to be filet mignons every night. You may have to have sirloin sandwiches. Like it, it, it's there's going to be differences. There's going to be things that you just have to understand that it's not going to be equal 
because the, they're not. There's, But at the same time, I think it's also a little unfair to call them like, hey, the like true minor leagues are, or even something that we should really take seriously because we also know that Andrade's uh, wife, Charlotte, is in WWE. And I think Miro is more unhappy with this push than anything, which I totally don't blame him for because that man yeah. should be on TV all the time. And well, remember the reporting was that he was offered basically the Ethan Page spot in uh, building up Ricky Starks, and Miro said no. Um, you could argue if that was the correct call or not, but he did say no, apparently. And you know what? That's fine. He has every right to say he does. no. He does. But I, I just think this whole minor league thing is like, it's whatever. Now, if you get everybody talking like that, then I think we have some kind of like real issue. But you look at, at the sets, you look, you look at the buildings they run. Now, they're not always running like, like 18,000 seat basketball arenas. They run some of them and they sell pretty well at a lot of them. But you know, you look at the set. You look at the lighting, you look at the production. Now, production has had a couple snafus here and there, but what about the presentation screams minor league to you? Oh no, look, look, I'm not I'm not defending the minor league take, but I'm saying No, 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 but uh, my yeah. my question for you is they have this minor league take. I don't think it's a logical what? viewpoint, but I think that, you know, some people are so ingrained to see WWE as the only major show in town that if they are not working in WWE, they're unhappy, especially if they've been there before. And I think that's part mm -hmm. of the issue with Miro and part of the issue with Andrade. And I think that it's important for AEW to maintain a happy backstage. And to do that, they have to avoid having people come in that they devote a lot of resources to and then say, you know, I'm stuck here in this shitty promotion. Um, which eventually happened with Andrade and eventually happened with Miro. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, th that's two guys who were pushed as mid-carters in their first company, and they were hoping to come here and become main eventers right away. It didn't happen. And, like, I think it's more sour grapes than anything, but I also have not spoken personally to either guy, so I can't say with any form of certainty. That's just kind of my take on it. Um, we do have one last thing we have to talk about. I was wrong. Um, record that because that won't happen often. Um, Hangman Page versus Kip Sabian. Look, it was a match. It existed. Mm -hmm. Kip Sabian looks like a, a shitty cosplay of a real-life Tim Burton character. And it's, like, it's Kip Sabian. Who cares? But what happened after the match is what matters. You have, as Hangman is celebrating, the Blackpool Combat Club come out, and there's some words between... Moxley and Hangman. Hangman basically calls him out for revolution, saying, hey, I lost by a banana peel win. You aren't going to be happy with a banana peel win. This ain't over. Let's finish this a revolution. And then they're talking about how he doesn't have any friends, and the Dark Order comes out. And then there was some real tension between um, Evil Uno and Hangman Page, because Hangman didn't want them to have anything to do with this, and Evil gets in Moxley's face and they're going to have a match next week. Evil Uno versus John Moxley. That could be interesting. Um, this obviously sets up a what um, John Moxley referred to as Texas death. Do not call it a Texas death match. And I found that very interesting. They did announce it later as a Texas death match, but 
I'm very intrigued to see what these two will do in a Texas death match because Moxley's been in a few over the past couple years. He had that great Texas death match against Lance Archer at the Tokyo Dome and Wrestle Kingdom. Then he had another really good one where he lost the U.S. title to Archer on Dynamite. I think this could be really good. I kind of wish it wasn't a Texas death match. I wish they would have gone a different route with it. They don't have to do an exploding barbar death match. But I think it, I would have been more satisfied if they did like um, some kind of gimmick cage match where they just have like, like you know, like lockdown, they they had the top of the cage drop and had a bunch yeah. of weapons. Like put a bunch of weapons in it, like attach it to like a, a, an extra high cage or some shit. Because these guys aren't going to jump off the top of it. They're going to beat the living piss out of each other. I, I wish they would have gone a route like that instead of the Texas death match, but I really, really can't complain. I'm assuming they're not going to do the gimmick where like the ref stands over the downed page or Moxley and you go, one, two. I'm hoping that they're not going to do that um, like throughout the match, like do it 18 times. Um I guess we'll see, but that is my, those kind of matches, uh, suck. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, if it's what I assume it's going to be, which is a very hard hitting match where they aren't like doing it WWE style, it'll be a great match. Yeah. And I, and I thought that Evil Uno was actually very good in this segment. Uh, I thought he did a good job of staying up for himself. He's going to get murdered next week. It'll be enjoyable. Um, but man, I you know, granted this we've already talked about how this was a, a rough crowd, but I thought that Dark Order got no reaction whatsoever coming out. They are just dead, uh, just dead in the water, a hundred percent. And like a year ago, they would have got a pretty good pop coming out. Yeah, it, it just feels like they've been away for too long, and they were never super over to begin with. So I mean, they were super over, but they weren't like major stars. You know, they, they I, I suppose that that's the better way to put it. They were never major yeah. stars. Yeah. Um, but that's pretty much it for Dynamite. Um, Rampage. I want to touch on one more thing before we wrap up Dynamite, which is okay. we got some spooky bullshit in that uh, the Elite segment where they're cutting the promo backstage with Top Flight. There was a visual glitch, and it turns out that if you froze that uh, for you know the little bit of the glitch that happened, you got an image of the House of Black. House of Black are now hackers. They're uh, they're leaves. I hope that from now on the spooky House of Black promos are just in leaf speak. Um, another terrible idea I have. Um, I want none of these to actually happen, by the way. But yes, that would sure as hell be a thing. Uh, what are your thoughts on this happening with the House of Black? And were you aware of it actually? Because looking from how you reacted visually, I'm not sure that you knew that happened. No, that that's kind of dope though. Um, you like it? Look, it's <laughs> it's a it's it's a fucking screenshot, like a still image picture. Like it's not spooky bullshit per se. And no, okay. it could be, but it doesn't yeah. have to be. Like, nah, let, let's let's let it play out. Um, okay. th- it I don't is think this set up is... an awesome match with the elite in House of Black. I will say that much. God, give that to me. I I wouldn't be shocked if we get um uh, something on Rampage this week that sets that up because what, like why else would top flight and air Fox get another shot at the titles? 
it, it feels like we're we're getting something with House of Black here. Um, but Rampage this past week, I watched the show. It was fine. Well, that was a that was a nothing happening show. It was it, um, it was it was it felt like a waste of time, but I didn't waste my time. Like I didn't have to watch it, but I no. don't feel like I like it was. I, I mean, should have been a, doing something else the whole hour. It was a solid show, like a six out of ten. But that's what rampages have been for too long, and they had that little bit where the shows were better with Moxley, and then they kind of stopped doing that, and now we've just got. You know, whatever. We're back to the B show kind of thing, and I wanted to touch on that just as a general sense. I think it's just back to being a B show, and it's very right in the middle TV, and that's kind of annoying. But you know, hey, here we are. Yeah, um, this week on Rampage looks like it's it's got a pretty solid card. Um, I thought we had it written down. I was wrong. Yeah, I forgot to put that in there because I'm smart. Um, <laughs> well, let me see if I can pull it up real, real fast. Yeah, so you got Young Bucks in the, uh, or the Elite, I keep saying it, in the top flight uh, team. You've got Daniel Garcia and Ricky Starks. Uh, that could be like really good. It could. Uh, Dustin Rhodes, Swerve Strickland, which could be good. Um, I hope that they uh, they put on a good show. And uh, then I think Jake Cargill is doing a uh, TBS title defense for 51 and 0. I am yeah. the most exciting part, obviously. Yeah. Woohoo. Um, overall, we've got two more dynamites um, before. Um, two more dynamites, three more rampages before AEW's revolution at the Chase Center in San Francisco. Look, I, I feel like every time we come up to an AEW pay-per-view, it gets a little stagnant right before. And we're in that point right now. It's a little stagnant. Mm -hmm. But I don't think it's a bad setup. I don't think we're in some kind of dangerous territory. Next week, we'll probably end up pushing this thing um, a lot higher. And I'm excited to see it. Yeah, um, I think that uh, next week we'll... I, I can't imagine it not being a better show than what this was, uh, the Dynamite. Uh, Rampage has some promise this week, and hopefully it'll be... Uh, hopefully it'll deliver on that promise. Um, I do think Rampage needs to change up its format because it has really fallen hard into the opening hot match, um, squash, you know, mid-card match, and then the secondary match. So, you know, like the, that structure needs to be shaken up significantly because um, it's just really paint by numbers booking for Rampage. And I think that's a little bit of the problem. That's my take. Yeah. We'll see. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see what happens. But it's not going to happen this week from what I can tell. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Fred, any final thoughts before we get out of here? Not really. Uh, this was kind of a crappy show. Uh, very mediocre. The only things that there's not even anything I'd say is a strong recommend off of it. Um, I think the we didn't even talk about the Moxley and Claudio against Roosh and Preston Vance match, but that was probably the best one on the show. It was just a very solid show, uh, match. And then I like the Mark Frisco match more than it probably deserves, but, but that's because it's Mark Frisco right now. I'll be honest, I was incredibly disappointed with the tor Texas Tornado tag. I thought that could have been way better than it was. And it yeah, I thought I so, too. Really it down. Yeah, it, it was yeah. not as good as it could have been, but it was still like 
three and three quarters. It was like, yeah, if you have time, check this out. But it's not like must see by any stretch. You know uh, what? The, um, you know what uh, match I would love to book? Um, uh, Roosh versus John Moxley, Hair versus Hair in Arena, Mexico. That would be wild. That would be fun. Or or Roosh Danielson in that same spot, same stiff. That would be great too. Yeah. Um, I think those would be fantastic. But would you say anything is, on this show is must watch? No. Okay. There you go. It's fine. Like you're yeah. you're not gonna feel like you wasted your time watching the show, and there'll be parts of it you enjoy, but when you're comparing it to the standard of television that AW set, this is this came across to me as a very big disappointment. Yeah, I got bored at points on the show, which I can't recall the last time that happened with AEW. And just as an aside, uh, I had this pulled up and then I stupidly pulled away. Uh, but this was on Cage Match uh, as far as the show rating for Dynamite. Uh, this is the lowest rated one since you have to go back to 2021 with the kind of infamous uh, we're going to have Malachi Black murder Brock Anderson in the main event slot. You have to go back to that dynamite for a lower show rating on cage match. Woof. Yeah. That's gnarly. But that that's dynamite. And you will yep. find us back here next week, hopefully talking about a much better show. Until then, you can follow me on Twitter at the Real Forno and all of my work um, regarding the NFL draft in the Minnesota Vikings at the Vikings Wire. You can follow Fred at Fragrant Fragrant Wrestling. Um, with an R, not a W, because Ted Turner is better than Vince McMahon. And you can find us on Twitter at GoodBadHungy. You can email us at HungyPod at gmail.com. You can also talk to us on the Voice of Wrestling Discord, where we answered the questions that people had for us um, live on the show, and we will continue to do that as you ask them. And please, if you like the show, like, subscribe, comment, and please subscribe to our our solo show feed if you're listening in the voice of wrestling feed it helps us continue to grow the show and become a a better podcast and with all that being said from fred i'm tyler have fun watching the xfl this weekend or don't like me have a good week hello voices of wrestling listener dave ryan here have you ever wondered to yourself How many hidden gems are hidden away inside the last years of World Championship Wrestling? Have you ever asked yourself how many tenuous gags can be made about the name Mike Enos? And have you ever thought about what it sounds like for two Irishmen to interpret a very chaotic company through its B-show? The answers to all this and more are just a click away. Check out Days of Thunder every second Thursday on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network.